I love this town, and I think that both with the economic downturn in 08, as with COVID, uh, I think the landscape of the city, the businesses that 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 uh, you expect to be here, that maybe that whole model is shifting. That you're not going to see the same brick and mortar businesses. That was one-time San Francisco mayoral candidate, Matt Gonzalez. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, Matt picks up where he left off in part one, concluding some stories of the mission from the 1990s. From there, he talks about his first run for political office, when he challenged Terrence Hallinan for district attorney in 1999. The next year, Matt ran for and won a seat on the Board of Supervisors, representing District 5. Then, in 2003, he ran for mayor. He talks about his decision not to run for a second term on the board, his run for vice president with Ralph Nader in 2008, and how he got started painting and doing collage artwork. He ends the episode reflecting on what he hopes San Francisco can become as we emerge from the pandemic. Here's Matt. Four Walls Gallery was one of the early avant-garde galleries above the firehouse. Um, that was the 90s, yeah. Was, crea- was creativity explored already there? They have been there as long as I remember, so. Okay. I think so, yeah. We're not running long, but I there there is a lot to fill in between the time we're talking about and, and today, because I want to get us to today. So maybe... Um, how did you, what, what about, so you got the job at the public defender's office. Um, what was it about the idea of elected office? Like what, what was, what drew you in to that? Cause am I wrong? You ran for DA. Was that the first thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, people don't believe it when I say it, like my aspirations were just to be like this great trial lawyer that, you know, I remember as a young lawyer being at a cafe near the Hall of Justice, and these old timers were talking about the great lawyers they remembered. And I remember just thinking to myself, this is the early 90s, I was thinking, oh, you know, I hope someday somebody remembers me with this kind of, you know, fondness and passion. Um, I had no interest in being in politics. There was no, I wasn't interested in being a manager in an office or anything like that. I just want to do my cases and do them well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the course of representing a young guy in a marijuana case, um, you know, he was uh, convicted uh, in this case. Uh, he had a bunch of pot in, in, in the pant leg of his pant and he was smoking pot on Haight Street when the cops walked by. And uh, it was a stupid case. It, Guy was in his early 20s. He didn't, you know, he didn't have any criminal record to speak of. And uh, they went to trial. And after the conviction, you know, the probation department at the time was recommending probation and whatever, some sheriff work days. But the district attorney was recommending like six months in the county jail. And it was pretty, it was pretty out there because the elected district attorney Hallinan, and he was, you know, touting his progressive credentials. I was gonna, yeah. And the, and the head of his narcotics unit at the time uh, had smoked marijuana at a party at my house in the mission. And here he was delivering the news to me right. that he 
had to be six months because we had to make an example out of this guy. And I just thought, what is wrong with you guys? Like, this is so nonsensical. So somewhere in that conversation, I made a comment, like literally, I just said, well, you know, if you, if you ask this judge for this sentence, the judge was Carlos Bea, who's now on the Ninth Circuit, a pretty conservative judge, mm-hmm. um, sentencing-wise anyway. I knew that he would give that sentence if they asked for it. And I said, you know, if you, if you do that, I'm going to tell everybody I can what you're doing to people. I said, I'll, I'll go on the radio. I'll take an ad out in the paper. I'll run for district attorney. I'm going to make sure people know what you're doing. And I was treated like nothing. And uh, after they got the sentence, I was in a courtroom doing preliminary hearings and the head of the narcotics unit walked through and he saw him and he said, you better get your filing money together. It was such a like, yeah, go ahead. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see you carry out your. Right. So I was like, all right. All right. I'll do that. So it's almost like on a dare. It was on a dare. I uh, so I ran for district attorney. My office mate in the public defender was my campaign manager and his intern was my treasurer. Okay. Um, And we ran a little spirited um, campaign and. you know, I was not elected, but during the campaign, I was one of five candidates. I was the only candidate that was against the death penalty in all cases. And uh, Terrence Hallinan, who was morally against the death penalty, had just been very cautious about instituting it as a policy. And he had allowed, when he came into office, there was already a death penalty case going, which he allowed to continue. I think he probably would have intervened had the jury come back with death, but they didn't. But he made the mistake a couple of times when there would be a bad case, he, he suggests to the media that they were considering going for the death penalty and things like that. So anyway, I was nipping at his heels the whole time. And finally, in the middle of one debate, he literally just said, henceforth, my office will not seek the death penalty in any case or something. So that's a victory. Little- there were little fights like that, little advancements, yeah. When and how did you meet Tom Amiano? Yeah, let's, that's a good question. Um, I don't <laughs> and, really... and, and is the story safe for this podcast? Yeah, yeah, no, Tom's <laughs> no. Um, um, uh, I must have met him somewhere on the campaign trail while I was running for DA, but actually maybe not because... After the runoff, I finished third out of five, so I didn't make the runoff. Mm-hmm. And then Amiano landed in the runoff with the writing he, campaign. Right. And so at that point, even though I was nobody politically, I was getting phone calls from go-betweens from Willie Brown, trying to see if I would support Willie Brown over Amiano because I now had a little bit of progressive cachet, presumably, which was absurd. I was not going to do that. And I supported Tom and uh, gave him money and, you know, uh, walked for him. 22 years of hindsight that the suggestion that you support Willie (laughs) Brown is really hilarious. But yeah, I was confused when I got the call. I was like, what? You know, the suggestion that, oh, you know, there might be a commission appointment for me. It was like, come on. Yeah. You don't know who you're talking to. Um, but uh, that was an exciting campaign, probably the most exciting campaign 
or the most exciting month in electoral political history in San Francisco was that. Um, I mean, my campaign had some good marks four years later, but Tom had some, he had some energy for sure. That would have been December 99, is that correct? The runoff. Okay, wow, that's, um, yeah, and that's some firsthand storytelling of that time. So let's then, uh, I guess, quickly, 2001, Board of Supervisors, where did that idea come from? Well, I got elected in 2000, so it was the following oh, year. Oh, okay, sorry. And um, I had done a little, I had moved from the mission, my house, uh, the house I rented with uh, Whitney Lay, my, my, my roommate at the time, we'd gone from Albion to Sycamore Street, and then I moved to the Western Edition, and um, I'd hosted a little little fundraiser for some of the folks I'd gotten to know in the DA race, in Amiano's race. They were trying to run for the Democratic County Central Committee. And so when they became aware that I lived in brand new district, they were looking for a progressive right. candidate in District 5. And so um, I kind of emerged as a possible candidate, I, I, I suppose. And that's when I, I, I probably first got to know Tom, was talking to him about the possibility of running. And by that point, I, I, I knew some of the folks active in the Harvey Mill Club, which still is, I think, the most dynamic democratic political club in the city. Yeah. We can get into this a little more in a, in a moment, but that run in 2000, I know it's kind of a weird question, but did you enjoy it? <laughs> It was a very different race because it's really uh, a different kind of campaign. I mean, you're basically working with 50 precincts, you know, 55 precincts. And, you know, you can walk with some volunteers. You can cover the whole area in a, in a weekend. Right. So you don't really need money to win, win one of these races. Mm -hmm. You just need support. And, uh, and because we were part of a progressive effort to take back the Board of Supervisors, because it was going from city to district, there was a lot at stake. You know, Willie Brown had candidates, Tom had his candidates. And so it was a big, you know, a lot of pawns getting moved around the board, you know. Yeah, so it wasn't a matter, matter so much of liking it as it, it, it felt um, doable as a more kind of grassroots volunteer effort and you had you had the support so yeah i mean when you're running citywide and you don't have a lot of money like where do you start you know right you, you just it's kind of not really credible if you don't have a lot of money yeah do you mind talking however briefly or, or much you want to about the 2003 um election sure um it's the the dynamics are complicated in terms of what got me into the race um, you know, a lot of people have said a lot of different things about it. And I, I continue to have very high regard for Tom. I know that Amiano was um, upset that I had entered the race. Because um, he ran that year as well, right? As well. Yeah. And he and I had had, uh, had differences in the preceding couple of years. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought that the progressives were kind of squandering the advantage they had or we had and could be doing more in the budget and this and that. And I think he, he you know, in, he, he might've been right, but I didn't think so at the time, but he was, he was sort of playing it a little safe because he was hoping to win over more moderate voters. Mm -hmm. The truth was these voters were never gonna pick him over the real moderate candidates like Susan Leal or, 
or uh, Gavin Newsom or whoever might be the candidate. I mean, I think the the 2003 race was a turning point in the city's history because Newsom, you know, and the kind of machinery that he had around him had had built a really carefully crafted image of this um, person that was going to be very pro-development, pro-business. And there wasn't a lot of space there for vulnerable people in San Francisco for, for the kind of artist and kind of cultural uh, environment that kind of made San Francisco, I think, special. Right. And it's, it still exists, but there's no question it's been, you know, it's been impacted. And, right. um, and so, you know, the, the, the fight against Newsom was really a coalition of groups from the left and tenants organizations and some of the smaller builders and, and kind of green uh, oriented uh, planners and bike coalition and, and, and those groups to kind of fight against that in the hope that we could keep the city on a progressive course. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot at stake and the newspapers had a, a lot of fun with it for lack of a better word, just because you know we were both um, relatively young and, um, and so it was kind of a matchup between two very different styles. And we both were, you know, capable of articulating what it what, what we wanted. We weren't hiding what we were about. And so it was kind of a perfect clash of these ideas and which direction should the city go in. And uh, so it got teed up for, uh, in, in the press, you know, on a daily basis during that race. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. This was sort of, uh, like I said, I moved here in 2000. And it's not that I ignored politics, but I feel like, you know, it it, it takes it takes something like this. It takes a, a, a local election, um, and especially one, like you're saying, that had as much kind of meaning and impact and, and as a turning point as this. It, that, that That's what got me into San Francisco politics. Um, it also... I'll just share that, you know, there are friendships that I have to this day that that started around your campaign. Um, I had just moved to the mission. I lived over on 20th between Mission and Valencia mm-hmm. that say, earlier that same year. And um, there there's a handful of neighbors that I got to know because we were all wearing our Mac and Zoll's pins. There you and, go. You know, there you I, go. I, and I, I, you know, I, I, I'm laughing. It's not, I don't think it's a, a superficial thing by any means. Um, we were drawn together by exactly what you're talking about. Um, and again, I, you know, I have 18 years of hindsight to look back, but it's like, that was what kind of, for me, brought into focus the two sort of opposing forces that you're talking about. Um, and that was what was so exciting about joining a campaign like yours and for all of us, or at least a lot of us, the handful of folks that I knew from that time, that's, that's what it was all about. I mean, there was a, there was a strong dose of ethics being fought over. So right. Willie Brown had kind of ruled with a, a strong hand and, you know, he would appoint commissioners and, you know, he'd put just, I mean, they really were political cronies on, on commissions by and large, you know, right. so you might get a seat on the public utilities commission and never have done anything related to energy or water or anything like that. Um, and that was just the way it was done, you know? And 
there was a sense that, you know, Newsom was going to be more of that. He was going to be more open to business as usual. And uh, I think there was a big threat that I was going to disrupt all of that. Um, I had voted against many of these commissioners when they came up for approval at the Board of Supervisors. So it was obvious what our own thinking was about good government and clean government. Right. And, um, uh, and you know, I mean, and to your point about shirts or buttons, uh, you could probably get a, a quarter or two on eBay for some of that stuff <laughs> if you ever need a cup of coffee or something. I still have a shirt. Uh, it was like the jersey that looked like oh, yeah. uh, the tour, like it looked like a rock and roll uh, band tour yeah shirt. i still have it i'm not sure if it fits that's a whole other podcast that we'll at <laughs> some other time but um anyway yeah really fond memories can we do maybe a bit of a lightning round i don't want to keep you too long sure. but uh there are there are a number of things in the the subsequent years um so first lightning round item uh your decision not to run again in 2005 well um you know, I, I uh, look fondly on my time at the board, and I thought a six-year term would have been perfect, hmm. but I thought eight years was a little bit too long, and uh, I didn't think the district um, should be, you know, held hostage by me for eight years. I kind of thought, you know, I think when Ross Mercurini came in, he came in with his own ideas and started emphasizing different things, and, hmm. you know, Dean Preston is focused on different things. It's just good to, I think, change it up. And I didn't really, I wasn't looking forward to going to the assembly or, you know, I just didn't see a path in politics. Uh, and I thought the longer I stayed away from the practice of law, those muscles would atrophy and right. I'd lose some of those skills. So I, I was eager to go back to it. I wasn't a great politician, to be honest with you. Okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, well, and then no, I, I mean, oh, I, yeah, well, we could talk about that. It's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a game, I, it sounds like, and you didn't enjoy playing. It's well, I, I'm just, I don't think I was that good at it because for me, it was like I voted for things if I thought they were good and I voted against them if I thought they were bad. And in politics, you're supposed to um, you know, if uh, your adversary wants something, even if it's good, you're supposed to hold them hostage and, you know, mm -hmm. not support things automatically and trade for things. I never traded a single vote mm -hmm. when I was uh, at the Board of Supervisors. And uh, in the off time, when I wasn't running a campaign, I, I didn't have an open bank account that people could give me money to. Mm -hmm. So when I met with folks with planning issues, I'd often get these $500 checks after the meeting in the mail. Hmm. And it, it was weird. It was like, what's yeah. this? Oh, no, I don't have an open account. I, I'm not taking your money. And yeah. of course, they're doing it because they just think, well, this is expected. If we don't do it, it's an insult. Right. You know, so the whole thing, the whole thing wasn't, wasn't good. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. So I, and apologies, I don't know which came first. You're, we're, you're, you're getting work at the Defender's Office or the 2008 run with Ralph Nader? Well, you know, I went into private practice and was doing uh, mostly civil rights work. So we okay. filed lawsuits against police and district attorneys and grand juries and superior court judges and corporations. And um, during that work, I was good friends with Peter Camejo, who had mm -hmm. run for governor of California in the Green Party during the uh, recall campaign. Mm -hmm. 
when Schwarzenegger was elected. And, uh, and uh, he had run with Nader in 2004 and was battling cancer in 2008. And so he told Ralph he could run with him again and that he should pick me. And uh, so, yeah, I did that with Ralph on an independent ticket in California. We were on the Peace and Freedom Party ballot line and you know, we 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 uh, were on different ballot lines in different states. So it was a you know a little insurgent campaign trying to raise left left uh, issues. Okay, um, I don't think we've had any other vice presidential candidates on the show. So thank you for being the first. Um, <laughs> there you then, go. And then uh, I. I I was hoping we could spend a little more time on your uh, experience in the SF Public Defender's Office, but I don't want to do that at the expense of your art because I, I'm trying to remember back to, you know, th your time after leaving the Board of Supervisors. And do, can you just walk us through your, like, when, when did art enter your life? Um, I don't think it's come up. In, in our talks yet. And I mean, it's it's something that you, you I, I'm gonna just ascribe you to being passionate about. Um, sure. I, know, I, I know I've seen, uh, you know, y you showing an, any number of times over those years. So yeah, do you wanna, do you wanna speak to, to how you kind of, how you came to it? Well, you know, I had, um, I'd been in a band in the late nineties and uh, learned, about listening to music by making it, by recording it and writing songs. And so I was a, you know, collector of art and, um, you know, I had a passion for it. And so I started experimenting painting uh, with the thought that I would learn more about it. Mm -hmm. And in the process of painting, I started including some found paper in my compositions. So it kind of went into collage. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't so much trying to make a finished art object as I was just learning what it was to push paint around a canvas or, or paper and, and just informed what it was when I looked at artwork and questions like, you know, when something is finished or if the composition worked or didn't work. Right. Uh, we're just informed by all of that. Um, some of my artist friends would come over and start to say, oh, hey, can I have this one? Or, hey, I'll trade you a drawing for this. And, and that's when I first started thinking, oh, you know, this is, yeah, this is cool. Like, they're, be they're better than maybe I, I think. And mm -hmm. um, I just kept doing it. I just, it, it was like taking a walk or gardening. You know, it was just a little meditative uh, stroll. And uh, eventually turned into a, you know, kind of more serious art practice where, you know, I started to exhibit or, you know, I've continued to do it and, you know, the work has changed uh, substantially. But the right. fundamental premise is still there, which is, is, is it's a bit of a, yeah, it, it, it just takes you to a different place. Your head goes to a different place. Awesome. Um, is there a place that uh, you want to direct listeners, um, maybe your Instagram account or, or anything else, especially in the in the time that we live in, um, where it's not always easy to get to galleries or, or art shows? Well, I have an Instagram account. Uh, it's just Matt Gonzalez underscore collage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got a, 
exhibition coming up, a two-person show with a painter, Terry Powers, at the gallery I've been showing at since 2014, uh, coming up in July, and that's the Dolby Chadwick Gallery, and I have stuff on their website also. You know, for me, I also liked the idea of democratizing art. You know, mm -hmm. I often would make art with other people and introduced a number of people to making art and kind of sharing, you know, that, you know, what I got from it and have, right have uh, really enjoyed seeing their work progress. I do want to pick your brain uh, for, uh, for, for wrapping up here. I would like to hear your thoughts. Um, I mentioned, I think before we started recording that our theme this, this season, which is just getting underway, our theme is we're still here. And I think uh, for Michelle and I, there's a hopefulness in it that this is a chance for us to um, to reshape the city. Um, what are what are your thoughts, Matt Gonzalez? Well, I I share those ideas. I mean, I I love this town, and I think that both with the economic downturn in '08, as with COVID, uh, I think the landscape of the city, the businesses that, that, that uh, you expect to be here, that maybe that whole model is shifting, that you're not gonna see the same brick and mortar businesses. And I remember after 08, you know, being able to walk in some little neighborhood commercial district and seeing like, I don't know, a crafts or sewing operation out of what would have been a pretty high rent location and just thinking, wow, this is great. This is, this is uh, maybe this is uh, uh, the future. Um, so I, you know, you're seeing it certainly, and rents dropping, and um, but um, yeah, it remains to be seen. But I'm not, you know, I've lived in San Francisco longer than I have in any other city. I've lived in the apartment I live in longer than I have in any other place, and I, I don't, I don't plan on going anywhere. Uh, anytime soon, except on vacation. So, uh, I, <laughs> what's, a va I, I what's vacation? Can you remind me what that is? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's. This is a beautiful city. I mean, there's just no place like it. And um, you know, I think the you know city hall has to work on those levers that keep it affordable. It those little fights matter. Because when we lose those fights and you, you lose 5% of your affordable housing or 10% over time, it's a big impact. It's thousands of people suddenly can't afford rent. And, um, you know, the, I was not at the board when they were contending with things like Airbnb and, and some of those right. challenges, but there, there are big impacts from it. And the lefty politics that I participated in that uh, Tom and others have, uh, you know, expended a lot of personal energy and articulating these ideas also caused us to lose political elections because we were pushing so hard to one end of the spectrum, had an impact on Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi and what have you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we might not have been the victors in terms of getting to hold those bigger seats, but uh, I don't have any doubt that we had an impact on um, where the politics of the winners ended up. And of course, on a national stage, they're seen as far left 
right. uh, radicals, you know, which is amusing to us. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> That was Matt Gonzalez. Check back next week when you'll get to know San Francisco author Alia Volz. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. The show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have nearly 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so that we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love it. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.